0: Well, you will notice on your chair that there's a, um, a little form here called our Go Forward Fund. Um, and one of the things we have taken from our sending church and want to continue to do is to push ourselves to go forward on top of our regular tithes um, where we give, you know, we encourage members to give um, generously first to the local church and then abroad. Um, and that's the pattern we see in the New Testament. Um, but we also want to be thinking like, oh, we've got our base needs, but then what else could we be doing if we had more money? Where else could we be sending finances? Um, And so um, I spoke about it last week in the Envision meeting, but all the details are here for the things that we're looking to do. Um, Building locally, we're going to try and invest in raising up leaders here. Caring regionally, um, Arby next week will tell you a little bit more about ICM um, and how we partner with the ultra-poor in the Philippines through um, this great organization called ICM, and they work through churches to serve communities. It's, it's really effective and awesome. Uh, and then we love to give on top of our, we give 10% of our finances away already as a church, but we love to give even more than that if we can to plant more churches globally and support church plants that have already happened globally, like Ethiopia, um, Bolivia, um, and there's, there's more happening this year. Um, place, i would have to get Dave to tell me exactly where. Um, so we want to give more on top of it, global missions, but then you'll see down the bottom there, SGC Australia Pastors College. One of our hopes is to um, be involved in training the next generation of Sovereign Grace pastors in the world, and one of the things that's really hard is to um, send everyone to the U.S. Pastors College, and so we're hoping to create like a six-week intensive to just boost the level of theological knowledge and character formation in pastors across mainly the Asian region of Sovereign Grace, so the Philippines and Korea and places like that. And so we're hoping to start a college here. It's going to cost a lot of money, um, and so it's a really exciting thing that we're able to give towards that's you know well beyond the means of just one little local church, but we're going to partner and see what we can do, um, and that's a really exciting thing. It won't happen this year. Um, because of coronavirus most likely, but hopefully next year it will happen. And so we want to already have a kitty set aside (laughs) so that we're ready to go when we can go. We don't want to be, all right, now we want to start. Oh, we don't have the money. Um, And so there's a bunch of things there that you can give towards. Um, There's a slip at the back where you can um, write down. Again, I encourage you, give first uh, to the regular tithes and giving to the church, and then think um, how you can give above and beyond that. Um, generously and according to your means. Um, You can fill that in and hand it in on Sunday, March 7. So we'll be talking about it in the next couple of weeks. Um, But the reason I bring it up today is I'm I'm actually going to preach on giving. um, And uh, the sermon title today is We Are a Generous Church. Uh, We, at least once a year, has been our practice to to preach on money and and preach on giving. Um, And that's so that when we ask you to give... Um, We're doing it theologically informed um, and inspired by the Bible rather than by guilt or um, by like, you just should do this type of thing. Um, We want to make sure that um, God's word speaks into our wallets and our generosity and our giving. Uh, And so it's such a wonderful opportunity to have God speak to us today through his word in 2 Corinthians to inform our giving. Um, Dave Taylor preached um, in December on uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, which says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And there's an inextricable link between our worldly wealth and our eternal pleasure and treasure. And so we need to be informed constantly about how we view money because it is the conduit to our joy. It's the conduit to our eternal treasures. Uh, and so it wouldn't, I wouldn't be a good pastor if I shied away from this topic even though it can be awkward because, obviously, I derive my income from your generosity and the generosity of this church. But I want to press on it, not because I want more money or the church wants more money, but actually because it's about our hearts. And if there's one thing I've learned over my time at Sovereign Grace is that the more I give, the more joyful I've become, the more invested in heaven I am. And I actually want, I want your hearts to be stirred up in Christ and to be stirred up for God's kingdom and therefore, I want to teach on giving today. So a title, We Are a Generous Church. And we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 um, in various places today. Um, it forms as one kind of thought unit for the Apostle Paul as he reaches out um, to this you know, 10-year-old congregation in Achaia, um, a wealthy but mainly pagan um, group of Christians that Paul has a very <laughs> up-and-down relationship with. Uh, but in his letters, we get a lot of incredible teaching on um, the, the life of a church. And so we're going to be jumping around 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 mainly today. There's so much I could say about giving. Uh, there's so much we could talk about. There's some really good books by Andy, um, Randy Alcorn there. Um, a book called The Treasure Principle, which looks really at the, the, the doctrine of stewardship. And then another book called something about God's money. Um, but it's basically just like every verse and everything you want to know about the doctrine of giving and generosity, all in one little small book. I read it this week. It's really good. I highly recommend it. So if you, if you need more than what I can give you today, I direct you to the book, store. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9 to begin in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he, as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich let's pray our father in heaven we pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word today in jesus name amen i want to ask you a question to begin this morning are you generous Are you generous? Is that how people would describe you as a generous person? Are you generous? I mean, I love meeting generous people. (laughs) I love generous people. How good are generous people? But are you, am I a generous person? About a month or two ago, I was um, out, I think I was taking out the bins and as usual, I get into a conversation with my neighbor, and uh, he's an awesome older older guy. He's a great guy, um, and he can talk. Boy, he can talk. If you get into a conversation with my neighbor, there goes 45 minutes. He's very generous with his words. Uh, <laughs> he has lots of them, uh, but we got on to talking about money and um, kind of, you know, how he invests and things like that, and uh, he's been a shrewd investor over his life. He's a Christian man, um, and he's, he's done some like, wise, worldly wise ways of kind of making wealth and using wealth. And he was telling me that um, he, he's with a kind of private brokerage firm where you have to have a significant amount of wealth to get in. And then he pays this broker to kind of do the trades and, and they have this philosophy about how they do it, et cetera. And then he's kind of like, yeah, and I mean, last year we made 300K and, um, and I was like, what? <laughs> And just on top of his normal salary and his normal living expenses, the investing that he's made, he already owns his property and everything like that, he made an extra $300,000 net return on investment, 21% return on investment. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. My first thought was, take my money. Like, I will give my money to you and you will get me such returns and everything will be all good. And then um, I, was, I was like, I was expressing amazement and He was like, yeah. And um, so we made 300K, which is really good. Uh, and then basically what I do every year is I just give that $300,000 away. Uh, and then we invest it again. And then it seems like another 300,000 gets made. And then I just give it away again. And I was like, I, I, <laughs> I got to tell you, my initial reaction was disappointment disappointment because you know what I was thinking I want to give you my meager amount of money I want you to make a lot of money from it so that I can increase my standard of living and have a better life but his modus operandi with the wealth that he was making was he was making wealth for the purpose of giving it away he was making 300k a year so that he could give it away he's supporting people it Bible college that didn't have enough money to go, missionaries in other countries, care, um, you know, supporting, you know, organizations and institutions with his funds. And his mindset with his money was, I want to make as much money as I can so I can give more away. And I'm ashamed to say that my mindset, when I heard about that possible 300K, was I want to make my life better. And as I was standing there talking to him, I felt this um, second wave of disappointment Um, And which was the disappointment in my own soul. The disappointment of how disappointed I was that he gave his money away. The disappointment that my heart clearly isn't instinctively geared towards the same value principle. That I see $300,000 as what I can get for me, and he sees it as what he can give to others. And I was disappointed in myself. I was thinking, oh, I could get a house deposit. I, I could get new cars, not used cars. I could have two cars. I, I, I could have holidays in, um, you know, in places I want to go, rather than camping. Or um, I could send my kids to private school. Now, I do like camping, but if I didn't have to, I, I, you know, I would bling it up. Um, that's what I do. The reality is, is that my in, my value principle is: I want to build my own kingdom. I want to satisfy my own comforts and I want to pursue my own ends. By default. By default, I am greedy. By default, I am selfish. And you know, I'm ashamed to admit it. It's not becoming of a Christian, it's not becoming of a pastor, but that's my default heart. And perhaps it's yours too. I know there's many, many very generous people in this church, but perhaps you share my default Sinful disposition of kingdom of Riley or kingdom of, well, if you have kingdom of Riley, good for you. (laughs) But kingdom of me rather than the kingdom of Jesus. Are you generous? Not do you give money away. That's not the question. Are you generous? Are you a generous giver? The great challenge for us living in an opulent and rich city with many opportunities is the comparison trap. Because there is so much opportunity that we could make, money we could make, or we meet people that have so much more money than us and so many more things than us, we're constantly caught in this comparison trap of like, I wish I could just have that little bit more or that opportunity or that thing. And so even when our standard of income goes up, our tendency is for our standard of living to increase rather than our standard of giving. Um, We live in such a rich area that we get desensitized to how rich we are. And so we just progressively, and I've noticed this in my own life, just include more luxuries and comforts that I would have thought no, 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 that's, that's, that's not right, we don't have the money for that, but as, as my income increases, the luxuries and comforts increase. Uh, and, and that's the trap of being rich. Um, you know, God often places us in two trials, C.J. Mahaney, our founding pastor, says, the, the trial of adversity and the trial of prosperity. And for many of us, we are living right in the midst of the trial of prosperity. Um, we have... S- We have a lot of money. We have a lot of opportunity. uh, We have a lot of people around us with it. And that leaves us in a position of trial, where we are placed sort of on the field, and we've got to make a decision about where we're going to run with the ball. The ball is our finances. Where are we going to go with it? But God, in his grace, has better for us. Though we seem to be trapped in our flesh, and I have seemed to be chained to my selfish ambitions and greed, God actually desires to liberate us from these shackles and set us free. And set us free to be joyful and generous. God desires for his grace to work within us so that we are freed from being chained to the things of this world and the kingdom of self and released to be agents of his kingdom and his glory on earth. And the hope of today's message is that as recipients of God's free grace we would be joyful and generous givers. That as recipients of God's amazing grace in salvation and in all of that we have in life, that our response would be to be joyful and generous givers in return. Two simple points to um, hopefully arrive at that point in our hearts. Number one, the motivation for generous giving and number two, the practice of generous giving. And I want us to see this one truth that grace motivates and makes possible generosity. Grace motivates and makes possible generosity. Point number one the motivation for generous giving. There are many different ways you can motivate people to part with their hard-earned money. Um, you see it all the time on TV ads. It's the, um, the harrowing picture of a starving child. It's the urgent appeal that if you don't give right now, um, someone's going to die. Um, it's the, the guilt-laden kind of shame tactics that are very powerful and work, um, at least temporarily. Other motivations we can give uh, are to use law, this sense of, like, you should give, and this is how much you should give to be a good person. If you don't, you're a bad person. This is just duty. Do it. Uh, we can use pride. I mean, a lot of those kind of appeal funds use pride and kind of this self-esteem motive for giving. We, we like to feel good about ourselves, and so when we give money away, we, we feel good, and so it actually, we can use one's own ego to help them part with their money. And you see it, like, why else would they put down the bottom of a charity appeal? You know, X and Y company just gave $500,000, or, you know, so-and-so just gave $10,000. Why would you put your name there unless you wanted someone to know that you gave it? And it's a powerful thing, like, that can help you, because if you've already got enough money, then you start to look for things elsewhere. And so you can get a little bit of self-esteem by being a giving person. We like to feel good about ourselves, the law makes us do it, or we feel guilt, shame and urgency, which doesn't last. But today I want us to focus on how the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, motivates the Corinthian church to give. Um, He's going to give us a masterclass in gospel-centered giving. The motivation for our giving is not to be law or guilt or shame or pride, but grace. And that's where we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And when we get to 2 Corinthians 8, we're entering the story of this Corinthian church. Um, the Apostle Paul had preached the gospel there. They'd become Christians. That had an up-and-down relationship, as I said. And previously, a year before, the Apostle Paul had been there in Corinth and had directed them, hey, the church in Jerusalem, your spiritual fathers, the, you know, the, the Apostle Peter, guys like that, Apostle James, They are doing it incredibly tough because it's illegal to be a Christian there. They are in poverty. The church that spread the gospel to you is now in destitution and need. And so the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, start setting aside money now every week so that when I come back in a year's time, I can take that money and give it to the Jerusalem church. That was all well and good. They did that for a time. But then they had this big beef with Paul and they started to just reject him and his teaching and they stopped their giving and their collection. The um, servant of, um, or like the the worker with Paul was Titus and Titus had been in Corinth and um, had reported back to Paul that the Corinthians had stopped giving and so now Paul writes this extra letter because he's about to return to Corinth and doesn't want to turn up and use guilt or shame or his own presence to motivate them to give. He wants them to give freely and generously. And so he writes this letter. Because if Paul turns up and they haven't started giving, the very presence of an apostle with the need of the Jerusalem church might inspire them to part with their money, but Paul doesn't actually want their money. He wants their hearts. Because our hearts and our money are inextricably linked. And so this is what he writes. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 through verse 9, he gives two examples of the way grace motivates our giving. And that's what I want us to see, how grace is the motivation and the means for our generous giving. Let's study these verses just blow by blow as we go through, and we're going to see how Paul motivates them to give. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God... That has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So, first of all, Paul is sharing an example of how God's been at work in the Macedonian churches. That's the church of Philippi um, and, and their surrounding area. And he wants to tell them: like, not look how great the Macedonians are, but look how amazing the grace of God is in their life. He's identifying where God's at work in the Macedonians, not how cool the Macedonians are. They aren't the heroes, so don't like go, Macedonians' heroes. He's actually trying to highlight God. That's why he says, I want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a torrent of complaint, shaking their fist to God. Surprisingly, and this is how you know it's the grace of God, their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. It's amazing. Verse 3. For they gave according to their means. That's, that's still amazing, as I can testify. And they gave beyond their means of their own accord. No compulsion. In fact, he makes it even clearer. Verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of of taking part in the relief of saints. <laughs> they, they were giving proportionally, perhaps tithing. They were giving according to what they had. And then, motivated and inspired by the grace of God, they're actually tugging on Paul's robe, saying, no, 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 we want to give more. Don't, don't, let, don't hold back. Here's more. We want to help more. We want this to go to the Jerusalem church. We, we love these people. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. They're in need. Have more of our money. Take it all. They're begging earnestly. There's no guilt or pressure coming from Paul. It's by the grace of God. Paul even admits, he's shocked by this, verse 5. And this, not as we expected. He wasn't expecting the Macedonians in their poverty to give like this. How did they do it? Well, keep reading verse 5. They gave themselves first to the Lord... And then, by the will of God, to us. Theologian Murray Harris sums it up like this. Their poverty no more impeded their generosity than their tribulation diminished their joy. Their poverty no more impeded their generosity than their tribulation diminished their joy. This liberal giving by destitute Christians to fellow believers not personally known to them, Paul traces to the influence of God's grace. It did not result from psychological manipulation or pastoral acumen. It's not that Paul was a good, like giving, like he didn't give the offering sermon and then when he's on, it's like twice as much comes in. Paul wants to make it very clear to the Corinthians no manipulation, no law, no guilt, the way the Macedonians gave out of their poverty and begged to do it, God's grace at work in them. And so Paul then moves toward applying this to the Corinthians in verse six. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. That's the giving that he had started a year ago. And as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you. So, like, obviously, he's trying to say, you've already got gifts. You've already got grace. God's already at work in you guys. But I don't want you to miss out on this extra work. See that you also, or see that you excel in this act of grace also. Excel in giving. Not just give, but excel in it. And then verse 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And then Paul's making a link between, like, if you truly are saved and truly love, which you do, he's trying to say, you do do this, therefore complete that love by giving. So that's the kind of, the first example, that the Macedonians, fellow believers Poverty, yet give. And if that wasn't enough, Paul continues in verse 9 to give a second example of how grace works to motivate giving. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become poor rich. He's leaning over now to the Corinthians and saying, you know it. You are aware. You are not ignorant of the fact of the lavish lavish and abundant grace of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus was rich in heaven. He's God. He was there in resplendent glory, unchained by a physical body, eternally God, owning all things, yet for your sake, He became poor. He takes on flesh. He takes on suffering. He takes on shame. He takes on torture and he takes on death. And why does Christ do this? So that you Corinthians and you Sovereign Grace Church Parramatta, through his poverty, might become rich. Rich. And the riches, of course, are not material. They are spiritual, and they are the best riches because they cannot be eaten by moth or rust or be destroyed. You see, the grace of our Lord Jesus, he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to come. There's no eternal law which says God has to save sinners. There's no eternal law which says God had to save you. In fact, the reality is, is that he shouldn't have done it. For any of us. Yet, because of love unprompted by um, duty or law, love in its purest form, he came and he gave and he gave oh so generously. He shares with us his righteousness, he shares with us his status as Son of God, he shares with us his inheritance. And writes our name in the will. As Paul said earlier in the letter, he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. When we put these two examples together, you see Paul's main point. Grace is the motivation and means of our giving. Grace motivates and makes possible our giving. Grace motivates and makes possible our giving. It's upon reviewing the grace of God in our lives that unchains our hearts from our selfishness and from our delusion that we live here for ourselves and that we're the most important person in the universe. And it's grace which actually makes it possible for our hearts to change. If it wasn't for God's grace, you could never give your money for his glory. If it wasn't for God's grace, you could never part with your funds. I mean statistically speaking, if you look at the stats, Australia, incredibly rich nation, we give like as a nation 1.5% of our income. You know, like we have billions of dollars amongst us as millions of Australians and yet we give just such a small proportion. It's only grace which changes our hearts. It's not law, it's not duty, it's not guilt, it's not pride. Paul isn't saying, come on rich Corinthians, they're really hurting, you gotta give, otherwise you're a bad Christian. He's saying, look, you can give, because look at how the Macedonians gave. God worked in their hearts. Look how Christ gave. He did it freely, not out of compulsion, but out of love. And you have that same love within you. You have that same Holy Spirit within you. You have that same power within you. You don't have to muster it up from within yourself, grit it out, and give. Grace motivates and makes possible generous giving. Paul Barnett says, God's grace towards us reproduces His graciousness within us. So, how do we become, or how do we, if we already are a generous person, how do we grow in our generosity? Not by our power, not by our might, not by gritting our teeth, but by the grace of God. By the grace of God. That's point number one the motivation for generous giving. Is free grace. Point number two, though, I want us to move toward. Okay, we might be motivated, but how do we? What are we meant to do? How, how are we actually meant to practically apply this and go from this position of like I, I want to be generous to actually being generous? There's a big difference between wanting to do something and actually doing it. And so Paul continues in the rest of his letter um, to help the Corinthians see how they can move from wanting to be generous to actually fulfilling um, their plan. Um, The in-between sections, so if you read from like verse 11 through to chapter 9, verse 5, basically Paul gives instructions to the Corinthians about how the giving is going to take place, who's going to come and collect it. Um, He gives them instructions so that they know that it's happening, so that they don't give it out of like, oh, quick, get my credit card, Paul's here, I've got to give my money now. He gives it so that they're ready and prepared. And then in verses 6 to 15, the apostle outlines practices for generous giving, how we can kind of, by principle and by almost instinct, become generous. And that's point number two, the practice of generous giving. Okay, I, won't, I was going to read all of that section, but for the sake of time, I won't read it now because i'm going to read it as i give my points i think in this section of 2 corinthians 8 to 9 there's kind of five practices at least that the apostle paul encourages to help us become generous practice number one give freely and not under compulsion look at chapter 9 verse 6 and 7 the apostle says the point is this guys come on Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Um, will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, Paul, in this moment, he could say this is the exact percentage you need to give. He could tell them this is the exact amount you need to give. Or he could say, look, we need roughly 1,000 drachmas to relieve. If everyone just gave three drachmas each, that would make the total up and break it down. He doesn't do that. In fact, the New Testament doesn't treat our giving like that. The Old Testament said we're to tithe, and I agree, tithing is actually the easiest way to help kickstart your generosity. It's like training wheels. Um, but Paul doesn't give a number. He doesn't say what you have to do. He says, give freely. Give willingly. Give joyfully. Because that's the type of giving that actually glorifies God. Free offerings. We get to participate in doing something that God loves. God loves, it says, cheerful givers. You can only be a cheerful giver by his grace. And if you're not a cheerful giver, pray, ask. I need to pray this all the time. Lord, help me to give and then to give cheerfully, to give it with joy, knowing, oh, this is going on ahead. This is being, like, this is treasure in heaven, A, and relief for the saints, B. This is being used for your kingdom going ahead. So we give, number one, freely, not under compulsion. In chapter 8, verse 12, he said, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So he's not giving a rule. He's just saying, give according to what you have and do it generously. Point number two is that. Number one, give freely. Number two, give generously in the measure of grace you've received. Verse six again, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We are free to give as much or as little as we want. But like in farming, however many seeds you sow is the possible yield that you can get and no more. You can't sow 10 seeds and reap you know, a thousand uh, uh, trees. You sow 10 seeds, you reap 10 bushes. It's the same with giving. Now, he's not talking about if you sow $10, you'll reap $10. That's not the principle, as he goes on to explain. But the principle is there all throughout Scripture that we give, and in giving, we receive. But let's look at how it looks. Verse 10 He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your bank account, shares, (laughs) no, righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be blinged out, rich, prosperous, no, Generous in every way. See, we give generously. That's the principle. And the result is we receive more so that we can give more again. We give, and if we're a generous person, we give so we can get so we can give again. Not we give so we can get and then we stop. That's the prosperity gospel. You give so you can get and live it up. That's anathema to Christian teaching. It doesn't. That's not the point. The point is, we give generously so we can be a part of God's work in the world, and then he somehow, through his mercy and grace, supplies us with more stuff so that we can then send it out again. It keeps going through. It keeps recycling. We're enriched to give more, not to hoard for ourselves. That leads us to practice number three, give courageously. So we're to give freely, we're to give generously, and we're to give courageously. We're to give based on faith that God will provide for our need. Anything like me, you start thinking about giving. As soon as you start thinking about giving, you start thinking about what you're not going to have and not going to be able to do and how everything is going to go wrong and how you're not going to be able to pay your bills and everything is going to turn out bad. It's faithless. But now Paul encourages the Corinthians to live and give courageously, and he actually promises that they will be provided for. Look at verses 8 through 11 again. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food and will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He's encouraging them to give generously because God will provide adequately. They will not go without if they give generously. He doesn't say if you give generously, you'll be heaps rich and everything will be sweet. The point is live on that brink of faith. And put God to the test. Put yourself in a position where God has to pull through. That's what faithful giving looks like. Giving that doesn't make sense to anyone in this world. Giving that people would, if your parents found out, would radically discourage you and say, You are an idiot. How are you ever going to own a property in Sydney if you give like that? You're a fool. I'm not saying how much. I'm saying that's the kind of faith because it's it's the, it's the giving that actually requires faith, future-focused faith, faith that God has to provide. Otherwise, you'll be you'll miss out. Otherwise, you won't have enough. That's the that's the that's the principle that Paul is saying here. And my experience has been when you live like this, although um, it's hard, it, it is more exciting. <laughs> there's there's an adventure to life when you aren't sufficient in and of yourself, to meet your own needs, you actually need God to pull through. Uh, and there's been various times, like before we went to pastor's college and we were about to fly out, I called Centrelink just to let them know that we weren't going to be in Australia, so they should stop sending us payments. And they said, that's fine. Um, you'll get it for six more weeks, even when you're in America. I said, that's fine. Um, we'll take it. But then they said, oh, let me just duh, 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 duh. Oh, hey, uh, we just found out we owe you $8,000. Okay, <laughs> we'll take it. Uh, and that money enabled us to, to live and, and provide for our needs while we're in America. There's just so many times in my life where I've experienced this living beyond our means, giving beyond what we should, and experiencing God providing so that we can stay in the game and keep giving. And so Paul is spurring the Corinthians on, don't live based on what you have. Live based on what he has. Give courageously and in faith. And watch the Lord provide. And then, as He gives and entrusts you with more and more, give more and more of it away. Number four, give to God. Give to God. It can be tempting to kind of be needs based in giving or cause based in giving or to kind of look at the Go Forward Fund and go, I like those things, therefore I'll give. Or I like this church, therefore I'll give. Or I like this person, therefore I'll give. But Paul commends the Macedonians in chapter 8 verse 5 that they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Our giving, first and foremost, is worship. It's not first and foremost supplying needs or meeting budgets. Our giving is worship. It's an offering to the Lord. It's it's us saying, I love you, here's my money, take my life and let it be consecrated all for thee. And so church, may I encourage you, give yourself first to God, holy, every part of your life, every nook and cranny of your financial life and every part of your life. Give yourself first to God and then you'll actually be freed to give to others because you realize that you don't own it. It's not yours. It's not ours. We, we don't own any money. That leads us to point number five, which is give as stewards. Give as a good steward. How much easier is it to be generous with someone else's money? <laughs> You know when you like get the company credit card and you go to buy lunch for everyone or you get given someone else's funds and you're like, hey, just can you get this? And you're like, all right, we'll get this and we'll get this and we'll get this. Anyone want a drink? Yeah. on Yeah. And we give and it's, it's easy to do that. But the reality is, is that every dollar we have and every share we own and every, you know, debt we owe to the bank and everything like that, all of it is the Lord's. It's all been, it's all God's. He gives it to us. We're stewards. We're managers of God's resources here on earth. Everything that we have in our life has the lords over it. None of it is the springs or the burnets or the yaps. It's the lords. And so when we see ourselves as stewards, then we can be generous to give away. Because, well, it was not mine in the first place. It's God. So who needs something? Because I'm tapping into God's bank account. Like if you had a credit card which had a limitless spend and you could spend whatever you want, you'd just give away all the time. You'd help people all the time. But that's what, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying we are tapped into God's resources. We're stewards of it. So therefore, we need to be a part of stewarding it well. And that's why his argument is, therefore, we ought to give to the church in Jerusalem because they're God's people too and they're without and you've got heaps. So let's be a part of giving there. And his, his, his principle is not reckless spending, but wise stewardship, which is why he says in chapter 8, verse 12 to 15, if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that they may be Fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Radical, generous mean, um, giving, but within our means, within and stretching our means. Now, often we think we have a higher means, uh, a need, than we actually do. And part of the practice in becoming generous, I've been learning as I've been studying, is actually setting my standard of living lower than it needs to be. Lower than it could be so that I'm freed up with more means to supply it with other people. But we're still meant to give as good stewards, wisely to reputable churches and organizations, not just to throw money away. That's not good stewardship. And so if you are incredibly short on income, Paul is not hounding you and saying, give it all away right now. Write it all down on the Go Forward Fund. That's not the point. The point is, give to the Lord, give freely, give generously, give wisely, and the Lord will make it all work. He'll supply whatever one needs. But the challenge is, for us who have more than we need, is to actually humbly submit ourselves to wise counsel from friends. And actually, it could even be good practice for some of us to say, all right, let's meet up and talk about our budgets. And pull out all of our income and our expenses and go, do you think I'm living above or below my means? Do you think I'm giving generously or not generously? And it's not like a pride thing. It's actually a a wisdom thing. Because we're all stewarding, some of us, hundreds of thousands of dollars. (laughs) Some of us more. Some of us less. I don't know if we're good enough to do that on our own. We need each other's insight. So Paul was encouraging the churches to be good stewards of their finances. The good news is, is that Paul reports in Romans chapter 15 that the Corinthians did give, uh, that he came and that God's grace worked amongst them. He reports to the Romans, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased, they gave freely and generously and eagerly, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in the material blessings. God's grace was at work in the Corinthians. It changed their hearts. And they they went from holding back their giving to actually giving. And they got to participate. And this is the joy and the opportunity of giving. They got to participate in feeding sons and daughters of God. In supplying clothing and footwear and basic utensils for sons and daughters of God. Blood-bought saints. That's what they got to do. By giving, they got to be a part of God's kingdom going forward, supplying the needs of their brothers and sisters who they'll share eternity with. And that's the opportunity of giving. We get to be a part of that. I mean, when we give to the Go Forward Fund, we helped plant a church in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. We're helping plant churches in Liberia, Africa, in the Philippines. We're, We're a part of feeding people that we'll never get to meet. We're part of kingdom work happening in a, a Parramatta and in Australia and beyond by generously giving. That's what we get to do. That's, and, and once we become freed from our selfishness and my selfishness, we get to have the joy of like, I'm a part of that. How, how blessed am I? I get to tap God's credit card into that account and just send the funds over there. So friends, may I encourage you, go forward in your giving. And go forward in generosity. Are you a generous person? Does that mark who you are? Does that mark who I am? Well, friends, I want to leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul about Christ. And may it motivate and make possible generous giving. Verse 9 of chapter 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray and ask that you would motivate us to be generous people. Would you make it possible for us to be generous People to be even more generous than we currently are. Lord, we want to grow to be more like you, the generous God, the cheerful God, the giving God. And for any of us who are particularly challenged in this, would you provide means of grace to help us take steps forward? May we give freely, generously, according to our need, as good stewards, and with courage and faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.